Welcome back to the Untangled Podcast, where we explore how plausible an obscure alternative reality really is. Today, we turn our attention to everyone's favorite red planet, Mars. Ever since we've been looking up at Mars, people have been noticing irregularities, be it huge canals, radio signals, or weird rocks that just happen to look like a face. And from that, some say that these are just signs of intelligent life on Mars. So grab your Mars rover, grab a spacesuit, and get ready to suffer the dust storms of Mars to discover if there really is life on this little red globe of dirt and rock. And before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe. Less than 10% of listeners are subscribed to our accounts, and it only takes a second to do so. We appreciate any support. Thanks. And welcome back, everybody, to this newly spectacular, out-of-this-world 11th episode of our podcast today, where we look at the conspiracies around us and beyond us. As always, I'm Simon, and I'm joined by a couple of friends of mine. First off, Han, introduce yourself. Tell the people who you are and what you're doing here today. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm once again hosting a podcast together with Simon. That's what I'm doing right now. And other than that, I'm still studying. So... Had you survived COVID? Congratulations. And I did survive COVID. Yeah, it was uh, it was annoying, mostly. Sitting inside <laughs> is honestly pretty frustrating for such a long time, especially now that the weather is turning better. It's just really annoying to have to sit inside and watch everyone go out. True. Yeah, I mean, I've been living in Brussels for about almost half a year now, and it's oh, finally getting sunny guy. outside. Poor guy living in Brussels. Oof. But it's, it was so great. Like... And it, this week, last week, it finally started shining. And I'm like, I feel the rays. I could feel my depression, like, leaving my body. <laughs> well, enjoy it while, you, while it lasts. It's not going to last very long. Speaking of people depressed their, under their current circumstances, okay. we're also joined by my friend Chris from Canada, which is in the midst of their winter season, right? Yes, it is. Um, actually, it did just start warming up, so it's a little bit better. But, yeah, I'm Chris, and I'm excited to learn about some crazy conspiracies. And congrats to you for uh, getting over COVID, Han. Thank you. Yeah, and if you want to hear more from Chris, we did a previous episode on foreign policy in Canada, uh, my election podcast a while back. That was pretty fun. And you also study, I think like us, we all study or we all have studied foreign policy, which is pretty topical nowadays. So, Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, But anyways, speaking about things that are a bit less topical, Chris, you're somewhat of a out of this world person, wouldn't you say? Well, geez, don't be, you know, you flatter me, Simon. I guess so. Don't, don't you ever get the feeling of standing in a field and looking at what could be beyond you, at what's out there? Yeah, sometimes, you know, you look at the moon and you're like, what's on the other side, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Nazi. I'm trying to sound deep, but... Uh, it's, it's a Nazi base. It's, it's a secret Nazi base right oh yeah oh. that's the movie i forget what the name was iron iron sky or something like that i don't know it's it was like a really like funny yeah, movie yeah. i thought you're gonna say iron man and like i completely do not have the same recollections you did yeah i might have <laughs> been watching like some rip off iron man if that's the case. <laughs> uh, but have you ever started looking not at the moon but at another planet hmm yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big, I'm really into space. So, like, actually, that's what I'm doing. One of my 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 research topic for my master's on is a space related topic. So, I do think about it a lot. Yeah, geopolitics in space. Yeah, I'm I'm doing um my uh, ma- my the- my research paper on uh the kind of like the politics surrounding the global governance mechanisms around space debris. Oh, yeah, debris. Oh, yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, because really yeah. there's like it's it's just basically like country regulations and then there's like some like international trees that somewhat regulate it, but there's like it's kind of open season there. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. littering in the Antarctica. Yeah, basically. Nobody really. Yeah. <laughs> littering in the Antarctica is also pretty controversial. I mean, it's a very similar topic because it's kind of regarded as like a common heritage of mankind kind of situation. Yeah. So it's, those are very related topics. Yeah, yeah but it's, mo- it's mostly Canada that, that gets crude. <laughs> yeah, when exactly. When littering in the Arctic, it's usually Canada that bites the dust. Or, well, I meant Antarctica. Well, Antarctica. yeah, but yeah, fair enough. <laughs> no, I was <laughs> going to ask you. Antarctica, Antarctica. Same thing. That's <laughs> One has penguins, one doesn't. It's a big difference. You, you clearly like. Are you are you prepared to do a full podcast about space? So is this going to be okay? We started talking about Antarctica. Come exactly. on, this is you don't even know. You don't even know one planet. Related aspect to Antarctica. Up from down on one planet. There's dude. How do we know what is up or down? Come on. There's no Antarctica, you sheep. There, it's just the <laughs> wall, the ice wall at the end of the yeah, disc. Exactly, know? and on the other side of the ice wall is is some mythical place where giants live. No, it's oh. the the disc is on top of turtles, and it's oh, just yeah, turtles all the way down. You know. Anyways, I want to actually begin this episode by asking both of you, what's your favorite planet? A bit more tame than what you were going for, Han. <laughs> This is a tough one. Um, well, I mean, other than Earth, uh, yeah. All my friends live there. Yeah, it's a pretty good place, you know. Been grew up there, spent my whole life there, you know. Um, let me see. Honestly, like Pluto is pretty cool. I mean, it's not okay. Oh, damn it, it's, it's not a planet. I'm stupid. All right, wait, okay, but you chose all, all the answers. You chose no, the wrong one. I am not, uh, but I meant just because it What's has your its, fruit? Moon, its moon reptile. is reptile. I don't know. It's okay. It's not a planet, but its moon is literally like almost the same size as it, and it's the center of gravity between Pluto and its moon is like outside of Pluto, like they orbit each other. It's crazy. Yeah, it, they're like a aren't they known as like a, a dual system or whatever you call it? Because yeah, like... yeah. I mean, technically, like all. Yeah, I guess it would be more described as like a dual system, but technically, all of them would be. Yeah. I mean, I wanted. To, I was gonna say Mars, but that's such like a basic answer. I was trying to think of something more like mm. interesting. Well, me, you know, you're you're actually giving an interesting reason to like it. I just I'm just gonna say Mars because red's my favorite color. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because they always call Mars like the planet of war, the planet of conflict in most traditional cultures, all yeah. of them, because red was a color of conflict. <laughs> What? Whichever is funny. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Because yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty it's... common amongst different cultures around the world. Oh, is that why it's called Mars? Because Mars is the god of war. Yeah. Okay. And it was well, originally it's... called Aries, I believe, something like that. Well, Mars is the Mars is the Roman copycat of, of Aries. So the planet probably wasn't called Aries because they might have actually. Well, I don't know if it's like a. Bef- I don't think it's a before or after situation. I think it's just whatever culture like said that god was that. Like, yeah, but made it traditionally, Mars, right? war, red is associated with war because it's the color of blood. I think that's how it goes. But I you think? Have you seen some blood before? <laughs> I've allegedly some blood is blue, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm... Uh, is it though? Uh, Conspiracy. Anyway, that's I another mean, theory. I would also say Mars is some of my favorite, just because it has such like a like you were saying, Chris. It's pretty basic, but there's some romance behind it, right? It's like our our long lost sibling, right? Yeah, and like every science fiction book, like has the conflict between Earth and Mars, and that's like it <laughs> yes. still hasn't gotten old for me. You know, it's pretty good. Yeah. 
But I, I will say I've had some bad experiences with Mars, personally. <laughs> Whoa. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, Mars is this thing where every so, so many years it comes closer to Earth uh, in their orbit. And sometimes you can see it from Earth. And right. me being, I think this was 10 years ago, me being a pretty excited young teenager was like, I want to see Mars. And the news was like, oh, you should be able to see it around midday in the sun when it passes. So I spent the entire day staring at the sun trying to see a little dot in it. Oh and I think my gosh. eyes are still messed up today from that. <laughs> was that. Was that serious or was that just them trying to mess with little kid? I don't know. Like, yeah, we're going to go blind some kids today. <laughs> Let's talk about look, this on the news. Uh, look, kid, if you keep staring at the sun, eventually you see whatever you want to see. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, screw it. I've got to see Mars. My eyes will heal in a few years. It'll be fine. But I'm, I'm just going to burn my eyes until I can start imagining Mars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's what, like when you're when you're pressing with your thumbs like on your eyelids and you see all these weird colors and mm. stuff. Yeah, Mars will be there somewhere. Mars. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be there. <laughs> Eventually. I, mean, I guess so. But I mean, this is a good segue bit into our main topic for today. Chris, can you guess what it is so far? Space. Space close. conspiracies. Mars conspiracies. Nah, you're going really close there. How Moon about we... conspiracies? No, narrow in a little. Life on Mars. Okay. Does it exist? And that's what we'll be focusing on today. And I'm going to run you through some of the notable things on the, when we fought life on mars existed or not give you some examples of maybe proof of it or not i'm ready to believe simon <laughs> convince me before we start i want to ask both you and han uh how much do you actually believe life on mars exists right from the get-go and i want to differentiate between life on mars as the boring life or intelligent life well, I, i'm definitely like i could see the boring one i'm not going to discount that because i don't know anything about mars <laughs> Mars exploration, but the intelligent one—I don't know, man. I, I would like—I would like it if they just found that monolith there from uh, from Space Odyssey. That'd be neat. That's also on Mars, actually. Now that I think about it, or is it the moon? <laughs> it was on the know. moon. On in the it was movie, on the I moon. Think. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I, I mean, if they found something like that, that'd be pretty damn neat. So I, I want to believe. I uh, you're gonna see something like that. You're gonna, you're gonna believe, all right. What about you, Chris? Where do you fall on this? Yeah, I'm kind of similar. So I could definitely see like some microbes, some boring stuff, you know, being there. Maybe, you know, in the in the lava tubes under the ground, there's some some little critters running around. But uh, in terms of intelligent life, I don't really see how it would be possible. Um, but I'm ready to be convinced. Okay, that's a good starting point. Do you know anything about Mars? Any facts you guys want to list off beyond that it's red? That it's not really red, is it? It's more like orange. I sure. Depends <laughs> on the day. It sometimes sure. has these planet-wide dust storms that last for like months, and it's just because there's like so little air that it like can last forever because there's like less air resistance. You know what I mean? Yeah, the atmosphere is one percent of Earth's Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, and because of that, it actually can stay up longer, right? Because it just there's like less friction, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty inhospitable place. Despite it looks warm and rosy, right? If I can say it, but the average temperature. So... Yeah, it kind of looks like it kind of looks like a desert. You know, like you're gonna go to massive. Exactly, it's like a massive beach. Yeah, well, the, the issue is, I mean, it's the average temperature. I think is like negative eighty degrees Fahrenheit on average. I don't know what that means. It's, it's cold. That's what you know. You know. <laughs> can, we, can we do that in Celsius for normal people? 
And I mean, it's basically rocks and some dust from what we know now. Um, mm. And I mean, it's half the size of Earth. It's a sizable planet. But people have always looked at the sky and looked at Mars because it was an interesting planet to see. So we're going to start by looking at this guy, this beautiful Italian gentleman. His name was Giovanni Schiaparelli. He was an Italian scientist, astronomer, engineer. Uh, he was around in the time, mid to late 1800s. And he liked to look at Mars. He liked to observe Mars, the planet. And he was one of the first astronomers to really point a good telescope at it and start writing down what he saw. And he became one of the first to document most of the oceans and, uh, you know, major continents within Mars. But while he was doing that, he also found something which he called canals or canali. He observed over 100 of these and people quickly started to believe that there were canals on Mars and these canals were constructed by intelligent life. Have you guys ever heard of Mars canals? This sounds like Mars is just one giant venice. <laughs> well, the idea behind it was that we know that there's polar ice caps on Mars, right? And they kind of had that idea back then as well. And they're like these big grooves would take the water from the top and kind of transport it along the entirety of the planet to make it hospitable for the rest of the planet. That's actually a pretty, yeah, that's actually a pretty smart idea. Although I'm not sure why they would need to like create some like uh, explanation like that when you could just like look at the earth. We don't need grooves to like take the water all around earth, right? But, but we have oceans, right? Like imagine if we yeah. didn't have oceans and only the Antarctic and the Arctic, right? Oh, How would you distribute water? Oh, didn't they think like this, those other um, dark spots were oceans? Never mind. I guess uh, not. He didn't. Not that I, from what I've read, he didn't. Um hmm. They, they kind of had an idea. It wasn't too, you know, it was a bit inhospitable at times, but they, they had hopes, you know, and they thought, I mean, those canals, they were the, the source of life that could bring life. And those big markings that he observed and he made maps and like mapped them out, those could only have been constructed by intelligent life. If you were a fellow person living in 1877 when he published these findings, what would you believe? Would you believe intelligent life did that? Yeah, I'd probably believe it. <laughs> like, there's no other way to like explain it, right? For somebody in the 18th century. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd be able to read in the 18th century. But if I did, I'd definitely believe this guy. He looks legit. The Grand Astronomo. I love that yeah. title. <laughs> the, the Grand Astronomer, and he's got a the Grand Stash to match it. Yeah. Very regal. So, he was an astronomer. But I'm going to add two quick caveats to this story, because <laughs> I think they're kind of important caveats. First off, he was kind of known for having really bad eyesight. I was, I was just going to, I was just going to, I was just thinking, are you going to say he's blind? Because that, that would be a problem if you're an astronomer. Okay. He just drew he this map. He's like, it's a prank, bro. <laughs> okay, made he wasn't up. blind. He was only colorblind. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, I mean, he could see. Um, but the other thing was that his eyesight was massively deteriorating and a year before he died in 1910, he confided to a friend that from 1890 onwards, he published no new research because he became so disenfranchised of his own eyesight. So, and I mean, if you've ever been around an old person, they'll never admit when something's going wrong with their body. For him to admit that only years after he published his Mars Channel findings, that's a bit of a red flag, if I that's can say fair, that. That's fair enough. I feel like he'd be looking at it and be like, I can see something. I can see Exactly. But for him to recognize it, right? <laughs> You can see stripey stuff on it. Must be a canal. And um, I'm also going to show you, keep in mind his bad eyesight, I'm going to show you what he saw during his telescope at the time. Han, uh, feel free to describe it for our listeners at home. 
But that is, so I don't know if anyone who has bad eyesight like me, uh, this is basically what it look what what a, like a little bit of light looks like when you take off your glasses. It's just a very vague ball of orange. Yeah, that, that's about what he saw. What do you think about this, Chris? It's kind of imagine you like took like a ping pong ball that you'd use in beer pong and you put it like twenty meters away and then took a picture of it with your phone and then zoomed in to like as close as you can <laughs> to the beer pong ball. That's what it would look like. It's it's. <laughs> It's like if you you took that picture of that ping pong ball and you just screenshotted it about a million <laughs> times and just keep reducing the quality. You put it through the um the the scanner. Yeah, <laughs> like it, the uh, photocopy. Keep scanning it. You keep you keep photocopying it, and eventually it looks like this. Yeah. So I guess this is the first problem: his bad eyesight and his uh, limited equipment, if we can say. But he still saw the candles. He said. Uh, but the second problem was his uh, calling them of canals because in in Italian he called them canali, which translates to channels, which was mistranslated into English into canals, which is a bit different because a channel kind of means a groove, yeah. while a canal implies water and waterways. Well, it sounds like it. That sounds like a typical English problem. Yeah. However, I mean, it was a. He was kind of. He never denied this translation. Hmm. I feel like I feel like at that point, like he was pretty old at this time, wasn't he? I feel like he I... wouldn't wouldn't want to wouldn't care too much anymore. Maybe maybe he just enjoyed yeah. the fame. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> maybe he's like, "Yep, I'm going to go down in the history books for this." I kind yeah. of think of it. I mean, the Eng- It's not a the English Channel is not a canal either. So. Well, around the time the Suez Canal opened, and mm-hmm. that was the big thing that was driving the canal and the people's popular lexicon, because uh, I think it mm-hmm. opened about eight years after his findings got published, and that was really on people's minds about, ooh, we can make canals. It's the big technological innovation of our times. It was the wet dream of all the Dutch, right, Hunks? Well, but yeah. I'm pretty sure we had canals before that. <laughs> so I'm do you sure think, that. like, did his ideas get popular after the Suez Canal? I mean, or the Panama Canal? Which one did you say? Suez first, then Panama was announced afterwards. Um, is this? Do you think it's like one of those situations where it's like the new technology is always the thing that like people like will say is like we're gonna get like iterated on by like aliens or something like that, right? Like whatever is new, right? So like in the, when mm-hmm. like steam power like became a thing, people were like, yeah, in two thousand, like we're gonna have flying cars powered by like steam, you know, and all this crazy yeah. stuff, right? Do you think this is like a kind of case where they're like people think canals are like wow? This is what intelligent life does to its planet, <laughs> right? Because we did it. This is yeah. the most yeah. advanced thing ever. So if the Martians did it, that if we did it, the Martians would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. That's what I saw some people saying about it. Because it looks foolish just now, but back then that was the pinnacle of technology to me. Those yeah. huge grooves into Earth. Yeah, so. like terra. It's basically like kind of terraforming, right? So you'd yeah. be like, okay, we imagine Martians are super advanced, so they we have like two canals, and they'd have like a million, a <laughs> hundred, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He mapped out a hundred, so yeah. oh my gosh! But from that picture quality. <laughs> but anyways, how do you how do you see this cruiser going to be it's massive? Determination. I can yeah. only see like a polarized cap, and then nothing else is like. Very I can clear. I can see. I guess I can see some brown spots on the side, but the thing is, I'm not sure if I'm actually seeing that or I'm just projecting on it because it's such a vague image. Yeah. Well, anyways. People might have had some doubts, maybe, but he had a really stellar reputation in Italy and abroad, so his works kept being published, and the mistranslation was kept inwards. And 
he inspired some others. So our next uh, beautiful guest we're going to introduce here. Can you guess which one oh of these people God. it is, Han? Uh, Do you well, want to describe the picture? Yeah, <laughs> it's like I got to describe this picture. So it's, it's, it's four people. Uh, and uh, three of them are wearing a very interesting hat, which I'm, I'm kind of struggling to describe. Chris, help me out here. Have you ever played Bloodborne? It's like yes, those top, yes. it's like those it's top like, hats from the everybody wears in Bloodborne. <laughs> yes, it's like one of those over-the-top Victorian little hats, but it seems like it's balanced on their heads. It seems like it's not. It's it seems all right. It looks like uh, 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 what is it? A record for like a yes, record for yeah. a record player with a plant pot on the top of it. And they're like, that's on their heads. And the, it doesn't it's, look like the head's actually going inside the hat. Yeah, it's like six sizes too small. Like the hair is, it's just sitting <laughs> yeah. on top of the hair, not going in. Exactly. Like, it's their not head. Actually, no, it's not even close. <laughs> to the listeners, thank you for staying with us for two minutes of con dis- trying to describe a hat here. But, <laughs> yeah, but these, these are, they have, I mean, I feel like I did pretty well and everyone knows what I'm talking about now. Uh, yeah, basically, and- the picture is of three Japanese fellows uh, who are dressed in traditional clothing and one north american dude just chilling amongst them i wouldn't i wouldn't have been able to tell which one was uh, it was but he's kind of sticks but anyways this north american dude was a guy named percival lowell who was born into an influential rich american business family you know he went to harvard he developed an interest in astronomy there but his other passion was japan um, so that's where this picture came from as a thought as a fun side note he actually wrote i think three or four books on japanese culture so you know he was one of those Japanophiles we know nowadays. So yeah, he, he was a man of that. culture. So it was it was a it was a yeah it was a nineteenth century weeaboo. <laughs> yes, your words, not mine. But anyways, he did really like astronomy as well. So in his later life, or a few years after his Japanese journeys, which he kept up throughout his life, he heard of this guy in Italy, uh, our, our beautiful friend Giovanni, with his amazing eyesight. And he was like, I believe this Martian Canal story. I love astronomy. Why don't I go looking for Martian Canals? And he actually built a huge uh, observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, called the Lavelle Observatory, which is still open today and has actually really helped the progress of astronomy throughout the times. But he spent some time, you know, looking up at the skies. In addition to having the money to build one, he also apparently had the eyesight to look for it. And this is very important. And I quote Dr. Haskett Devi, who is the leading eye doctor in, uh, in Boston during this time. Percival Lau's eyesight was, quote unquote, the keenest he had ever examined. So you got to believe this guy could look at the skies. <laughs> this guy's a looker. Yeah, this, yeah. This, guy, this guy's a real eyes. He's a keen eye, you know. You just um, imagine him, him having like this plaque on the wall, which has 21 out of 20 eyesight. Uh, it's just funny. There was a quote which reinforced how good yeah. he was. At this looking. guy this guy could, could spot a little rabbit just across the meadow. That's how good he is. The, the, what, it's interesting. Is it Maybe was this such a problem with astronomers back then that they needed <laughs> the press needed to like go to this optometrist to be like, is this guy, you know, is he legit, you know? We've had this other problem with this guy. He can't see a thing, man. Is this guy, can this guy see? Can we trust him? He's the best, best looker I've ever seen. You can yeah, trust yeah, him for sure. Yeah. God. You know, you know when you do that eyesight test and you have to read the tiny letters? He could read the tiniest letters to a T. All of them. He could read them from outside the office, right? 
He already knew uh, them before he even came. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he didn't even have to look at them. That's how good his eyesight was. <laughs> With this amazing eyesight and his nice big telescope he had, he looked at Mars some and he discovered or rediscovered or retraced these canals that uh, Giovanni uh, Schiaparelli first observed. And personal about was a, a man who could, you know, stir up some drama, stir up some public interest because, you know, he was somewhat of a public intellectual. Um, he was a great businessman, philanthropist and astronomer. And he spent some time writing some books on his findings. He wrote three books on life on Mars, describing in vast detail the intelligent civilizations which must live there to create these canals. He described how he, he saw these canals. He noted movements in Mars. He even saw that there was uh, shiftings in the polar ice cap, which he believed was the oceans like, coming in and ebbing out. Like to quote from one of his books, we may conclude that we have a polar sea, a real body of water from his telescope he saw. He did say, to caveat it a little, he did think most of Mars was largely a desert just from looking at it. But that added more credence to his theory, which was once again that these canals existed to ship water throughout the planet to, you know, make life flourish in other places. And he was adamant until his death, basically, that Mars contained intelligent life. Uh, to quote him again from one other a magazine he appeared in 1907, the planet is at present an abode of intelligent life. Pretty nice. However, in 1909, or by the early 1900s, late 1900s, newer telescopes emerged, and a lot of other scientists were looking up at the sky and not seeing what Lavelle saw. Um, so I think by 1909, it was pretty concretely kind of disproven because there were bigger telescopes which failed to see what he saw. However, his findings still captured the public imagination like no one had ever done before. What do we think of our keen-eyed man? Are these drawings at the bottom his drawings? Yeah, if you want to describe them, that those were his drawings of what he thought the canal patterns looked like on Mars. Well, let's just say, you know, maybe this guy might have been the best looker, but he might not have been the best drawer. That's what I'm going to say. They're like well, spiderweb looking. Um, yeah. Geometric. I feel, like, I feel like they've got a real, real Mondrian-esque quality to it. I, I like, kind of mm. like them. They look, they're aesthetic. Oh, it's more, it's like more minimalist, right? That's yeah, how you're trying to look at it? Okay. It's got a really nice minimalist vibe to it with all the straight lines and then like angles and stuff. Okay. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I can see that. It's, it's like, I'm not sure if that was his intention, but it did work out. Here's another map he drew, um, which is a bit more finished, I would say. But uh, Okay, this wow. is a pretty good map. I mean, for what he, I guess, was doing. Wow, there's a place yeah. called Utopia right there. This this And Elysium. Yeah, these people had a really, really incredible imagination when it comes to Mars. You have to imagine, the way he drew this, he was sitting at a telescope, looking up, looking down, because you couldn't really take pictures at that time via telescopes yet. And, I mean, this is probably drawn on his leg or something. Yeah, this is pretty... I mean, I, I think it's relatively impressive, like, with the lines and stuff, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally bonkers. I don't, like, how would you even be... I feel like this is a long shot to be able to draw this. And I mean, I've drawn fantasy maps when I was a kid in my, my book, and they kind of look like this with, without the swiggly lines, but still. This is actually really interesting. It's kind of like this guy was like writing a fan fiction, you know, he's exactly. just like, he's just sitting up there and being like, I wonder what it could be. I'm just going to make something up and say it's yeah, true. It's... But then it, it's kind of nice, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought his story was quaint because at the very least, even if he did turn out to be wrong, he did really inspire the public to get behind space exploration. And I think his telescope was credited and really, you know, helping astronomers, you know, discover other planets and really help observe other features about other things. So I, I do I, I do think, though, uh, how big would those canals have to be in order to be visible with a rudimentary telescope from that distance? Because you, you can't see... Like, people always say, oh, you can see the Great Wall from space. No, you can't see the Great Wall from space. That's bullshit. The Great Wall is way too tiny to be... Like, it's way too small to be seen from space. So if you want to see something from space, it's going to have to be really fucking big. So well, you can see the Panama Canal. Oh, sorry. You can see the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal, right? Can you? I'm pretty sure you can. I mean, it depends on, like, how far away you are in space, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, this is, also- like... I don't, I don't think you'd be able to see them from Mars... Yeah. I mean, one of the hypotheses which people said could explain his seeing of canals was that he set up his micro, he set up his observatory kind of weirdly. So some people thought that he was literally just seeing the cataracts in his own eyes, so the blood vessels. Oh my and God. that kind of got transposed because while he was looking at Venus, he also noted similar hexagonal shaped patterns. Oh, wow. But I feel like it's rotating, right? So he wouldn't be able to draw a consistent map if that was the case. Yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine you trying to do this. I mean, and he was, I mean, he did train some astronomy, but like back then you weren't a trained astronomer. That there, there wasn't really, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, we should move on to our next person of interest, our next Martian believer. Chris, you're a fan of Elon Musk, right? Well, I'm a fan of SpaceX, not so much the man himself. There we go. Yeah. There we go. I don't like the man. But would you be a fan of his 18th, 19th century equivalent? Tesla? Well, let's, oh, I'm, yeah, I'd definitely be a fan of Tesla. Tesla was cool. He, he, he factors into this story because he believed, <laughs> and it was quite public about it, he could communicate with Martians. Electric wizard, <laughs> Nikola Tesla. <laughs> that is the coolest title ever. Yeah. So basically, in 1896, he said about his technology, because he was really big into experimenting with wireless technology, electricity, stuff like that. He said that, uh, and a quote from him, the possibility of beckoning Martians was the extreme application of my principle of propagation of electric waves. So his theory was that his, all his technology was kind of building up to being able to kind of communicate with Martians if possible. And he truly believed that they were out there. And I think he was somewhat of a fan of Percival Loeb's, so... One of his big claims to fame is that he actually, you know, got a signal from Mars. While he's experimenting with technology, because it's still early days, he apparently started receiving some mysterious signals, which he could not uh, isolate the origin from. And the most prominent example of this happened in 1899, when he was conducting experiments in Colorado Springs with a new form of uh, electricity generator. And Mars was kind of close in the sky. And to quote him, and this is from one of his books or one of the quotes, my ear barely caught signals coming in regular succession, which could not have been produced on Earth or caused by any solar or lunar action or by the influence of Venus. And the possibility that they might have come from Mars flashed upon my mind. Dot, dot, dot. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah. If we go forward, uh, here's another quote that he said. Han, do you want to read the other quote he said about his time in Colorado? All of it. All right, all right. 22 years ago, while experimenting in Colorado with a wireless power plant, power plant, I obtained extraordinary experimental evidence of the existence of life on Mars. I perfected a wireless received of extraordinary sensitiveness, far beyond anything I know, and I caught signals which I interpreted as meaning one, two, three, 
4. I believe the Martians used numbers for communications because numbers are universal. Tesla, 1922. What do you think of it? Do you think he caught on to Martian signals? I feel like it's very War of the Worldsy that they would communicate in numbers or like close encounters of the third kind. I mean, what else would you communicate in? I think that's what you start with, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. Well, yeah, because like anything that's intelligent enough to like be able to communicate with you, like is going to be able to kind of like recognize a series of beeps or something as numbers, maybe. Right. Who knows? That's, I mean... We have to kind of make some assumptions, right? But well, I mean, he interpreted the signals. Yeah, as me, but he before. is Tesla, so come on. Yes, it but, is. Yeah, mean, it was definitely. He's a pretty smart fellow, but that doesn't mean he's right on every account. Uh, I'm act- I'd actually be really interested in seeing, like, if there's some explanation for for what was this was. Uh, I I didn't look that far into it, but it's probably just some kind of interference they had yeah. picked up on beforehand, because he was one of the first to be experimenting with this technology, so it was by no means foolproof. But there are like, a, you know, constant signals or like different types of signals you can receive from like different bodies just randomly moving. Yeah, actually, I won't take too long with the story, but like, you know, the cosmic background radiation, right? Yeah. Some, some people were just like experimenting with some random like radio. I forget what it was. Um, and they kept getting like interference and they were like, where the heck is this coming from? It's coming from everywhere at once. And then they yeah. were like oh my gosh, this is like the traces of the Big Bang that we're detecting with this like radio that we built. And then that's how they discovered it. It was like a complete accident. Yeah, it's just because the technology kind of supersedes your physics knowledge sometimes. But yeah. Anyways, there's this cool rumor, which he actually kind of fostered because he had a quote in another interview where he actually said he built this thing. But he said, or people believe that he built what was called the Tesla scope, which was used to communicate with extraterrestrials. So... Gotta love the 1920s where when you name something, you just like put your name in front of it and then like a hyphen, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you're Canadian, Chris. You, got, you never heard of Defen Bunker? But that's for another, <laughs> that's in the past episode. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Simon's favorite, favorite Canadian ever. Uh, don't get me started. Defen Baker. Speaking about rivalries, have you ever heard a man, Giuglomo uh, uh, um, uh, of Marconi? Marconi, I'll go with that. I isn't do, that, but I can't remember what he did. Uh, but the only, I'm pretty sure that that's a, isn't, oh no, that's a gangster from Batman. Never mind. He invented the radio. Nice. You should have known. Really? About it. <laughs> why, why is it, why is it called a radio and not a Marconi? Because he was humble. Unlike uh, Tesla, who was his uh, contemporary rival. Since he was also very interested in just, you know, radio waves, electromagnetic waves, wireless communications, hence the radio invention that he had. And he was basically kind of like the European equivalent to Tesla, except he was from Italy. I mean, yeah, but Tesla was European too, so. Wow, American-based. I mean, it's like saying Elon Musk is from South Africa. Was he born in South Africa? Yes. Really? (laughs) But anyways, my man Marconi, he created the radio. The reason I have this picture of the boat up. So do you want to describe the yacht that we're seeing here? It's just a big boat, right? It is, yeah. Trying to. It's just a very long boat. It's quite beautiful, isn't it? It's it's nice. It looks pretty neat. So the story behind this, he built, and I quote, a super laboratory in his uh, in his big yacht, the Electra. So that's his super laboratory, which is a floating boat, which he could go anywhere in the world with to conduct his experiments. I love that. That's like a villain. Oh it's yeah. the coolest it's like a, it's thing ever. It's his villain hangout that like 
goes around the world. Nobody can catch him. Just a huge white yacht. It's like he was doing the Russian oligarch thing before I needed him. This this sounds like a good James Bond movie plot. It does. He's just sailing around and, and messing stuff up with his evil science schemes on his boat. Yeah, I mean, to continue on the evil theme, this is all conspiracy to conspiracy, not really related to Mars. And I'm going to talk about it anyways because it's too cool not to mention. So if the podcast is long, my apologies. But um, apparently, during uh, around the World War II time, or a bit before, he fell in with Mussolini, which was never a good thing. Um, and then allegedly, he faked his death in 1937. Um, and sailed off to get rid of 98 other scientists in his yacht. And they went to Venezuela, where they set up a high-tech utopia city, um, where they experiment with anti-gravity technology, uh, with, te- with, w- with wireless communication technology, and with like free energy tech. And there are stories of people randomly stumbling on this mysterious city in the jungle in Venezuela, and meeting Marconi and his numerous inventions. I feel like these people use too much ayahuasca. <laughs> it's a cool story though it is a cool story but anti-gravity tech in the venezuelan jungle i mean it's marconi he could have done it it's, with his like super people, yacht people just, people just ascribe <laughs> mythical quality magical and mythical qualities to, to scientists sometimes it's like the on, with the john teeter one with the scientist that traveled through time apparently like oh well he's a scientist and he's pretty smart so I, if anyone could do it he could yeah, the, the big numbers man, you can do yeah, it. Yeah, the big, big numbers man makes science go beep beep. Yeah. Anyways, the poor ship. I don't know why I'm focusing too much on a ship. It, regardless, the poor ship. Um, well, not that poor. It got drafted to serve for the Italian military during World War II, or was bombed by by Allied bombers and was sunk off the coast of I think Greece. Um, and then. 50 years later, so in 1977, the Italian government was like, yo, we need to honor Marconi somehow. What did he love more than anything in the world? Of course, his super laboratory on the yacht. So they brought up pieces of the yacht and they started displaying it in places around Italy, which was significant to him. So there's like half a yacht, like half the hall is like in this random town in Italy. So, <laughs> Was there any anti-gravity technology there? Or was it taken by the, the Italian government secretly? I don't know. I don't well, know. If it, if it, How did if they if get the yacht been... off the seabed, man? No. You know, just saying. Well, that's that's why they didn't get the entire yacht. It's because they couldn't manage to actually stop it from floating up. So it's on the moon yeah. or somewhere. It just kept going. Yeah, that's what had attack with fighter jets, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, anyways, the whole reason I mentioned Marconi is for the simple line that he also claimed to hear these mysterious sounds that uh, Tesla heard, although different sounds than Tesla. So, yeah. Okay. Did he have like some alternate interpretation? Like they were rivals or something, right? Maybe he was like, no. It actually means this. He literally said they were also from Mars. However, the more conspiratorial amongst the conservative crowd was like, oh, it's just a marketing scheme from these two guys to promote how good wireless technology is that you can listen to Mars of it. But maybe that was it. That's not even conspiratorial, like, though. That's just, that makes sense. I feel like we <laughs> no, should, no, it doesn't make sense. I like I the other like explanation we better. Bring, we should bring that back. Uh, can, if, if Huawei or something is like, you can actually call Mars with our phones. That's how good they are. <laughs> That's actually going to be a thing eventually, you know? Like, Yeah. Interplanetary uh, phone lines. Uh, speaking about little tangents, there are so many cool things I just dug up doing this. What's your favorite day? As in, like, Earth Day or World Water Day or Autism Awareness Day. What's your favorite day? I don't know. I, Hans, do you have one? National Pancake Day. 
Okay. Do you want to hear mine? Yeah, go on. Mine is National Radio Silence Day. <laughs> there's a day for everything, isn't there? Do you know why there's a day for National Radio Silence? Because I want to listen to Mars. That's it. Oh, my God. <laughs> so in 1924, the U.S. government promoted this thing called National Radio Silence Day, where all Americans were supposed to, on the top of every hour for five minutes, turn off all radios. And the American government even participated to create radio blackouts. So these two guys, uh, his, uh, Dr. David Peck Todd and Francis Jenkins, could use their equipment to listen for any signals coming from Mars. And this happened in 1924, from August 21st to 23rd. Pretty cool, right? That is pretty cool. That's like the, it's like the first SETI, you know, like search for terrestrial life, you know. And everyone is on board, too. It's so cool how they're yeah. just like, yeah, I'll, I'll turn off my... I mean, imagine nowadays turning, being forced to turn off your phone for five <laughs> minutes every hour to, so that some people can listen for aliens. Nobody would do it. But I, I, could, just, I, I, I could just imagine a scenario in which... Uh, this was the rule, like you turn it off and then Steve in Louisiana or something didn't get the memo or didn't check his blog and then they're all like, we're getting a signal, we're getting a signal. Ah, it's Steve again. God damn it. Yeah, actually the people who live near SETI, I think it's like a, yeah, there's like limitations on the electronic devices there around there. Mm. Yeah. I kind of want to be like the aliens who were looking at Earth when this was happening, and they randomly saw the entirety of U.S. just shut off for five minutes and then turn back on, and then do it again for like two days and never do it again. The aliens are like, no, the, and then the aliens are like, they're sending us a signal. <laughs> it's one, two, I think it's one, two, three, four. Yeah, quick, get on a super yacht. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, this was actually successful. Oh yeah, we got a signal from Mars. Yeah, so the 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 big box thing that Jenkins is holding was actually a special thing he developed, which was called the radio camera. Um, so what it did is it translated radio waves into pictures, because that's obviously how you send a picture nowadays, using radio waves. Do you want to see what they got? Yeah. This is what they got. Oh, my gosh. Allegedly, the zoomed-in image, if one of you wants to describe it, is a face, and that is proof that aliens sent us from Mars. Yep, it kind of looks like a face, <laughs> if you really look at it. I mean, that's like human... People like to see faces and things, right? It's like one of our... Sure. It it, it kind of looks like a face, if you really want to make it look like a face. <laughs> I really wonder what... what I, I can't see the... I can't see it. What, what, what am I looking at? So it's like a profile view of a face. So it's basically a repeating pattern, which you can kind of see a nose, and you can kind of see an eye and like a mouth. It looks like a dude with a mustache... <laughs> It's a face, right? And he's also got a really scraggly little beard. Aliens look different. That's all I can say. I'm not too sure about this. I, I feel like this is the same as like uh, pagan people looking at trees and seeing faces in the wood. Yeah, that was kind of the worldwide reaction, which is why you probably don't know about this or probably didn't know about it. Or people were like, yeah, it's not the most credible source here, man. <laughs> Try again. Yeah, they're reaching a little bit here, even for this time, you know. Yeah, I just thought it was cool. National Radio Silence Day. I'm going to observe that on my birthday next year. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so let's say, so this is kind of where most of the hype around Martians started to die down a little because you kind of did what you could have radio waves. So the next step was to go to Mars and check for Mars life forms. And they might have found something. So... 
the 60s and 70s, they started sending stuff to Mars, like programmer, like uh, observers and stuff like that. But the one thing with the Mars program that I want to start off is that there were so many failures, as an extraordinarily amount of failures. So I threw up here quickly, like a Wikipedia graph of all the missions to Mars. All the red or light red ones were ones which completely failed. The green ones are successful ones. Do you want to say what the trend looks like, Chris? It's like 50-50. And that maybe even a little bit worse. <laughs> 60% failure. 60% really? failure rate oh for missions to Mars. What is it what is it chronologically going up or down? Uh so the oldest is up top. All right. So but what are the blue ones? They're the ones that are still going or the oh, ones okay. that are traveling. Well, this is good, though. This means we got way better at it at mm-hmm. some point. But, I mean, if you were hiding something in the beginning, that looks suspicious, doesn't it? Yeah, because there's like this period. Um, at the beginning, there's like failures, and that's kind of what you expected. And then it's like green for a lot until like halfway. And then there's suddenly just like tons of red in the middle. Mm. What yeah. would be suspicious? If one of those green missions found something which shattered the Earth, and then all of a sudden, this, the missions after that started failing. Oh, my God. The world views. Oh, like so. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was just like, shot at the world. Like, uh, sorry, maybe, all the it, metaphors. Maybe, maybe it did. We're living on a simulation. Yeah, yeah. The, possible. So, uh, I assume you've you've heard of Viking One. So that was an orbiter that flew that flew around Mars a bunch of times and took pictures and sent it back to Earth. And that happened around in the nineteen seventies, uh, mid seventies. And one of its most famous pictures um, to us, more uh, conspiratorial minded is the Mars face, which was caught on July 25th, 1976. Do you guys want to describe this picture to the audience listening? Hmm. It's a face. It's like a mountain. It's like a hill that looks like a face, kind of. It's yeah. very creepy, though. It's yep. got a bit of an eerie, especially with the black and white. It's got a kind of eerie look to it. But this is a face, though. No doubts about it, right, Han? No, this is this this one is is like you can actually see the face in this one. Yeah, it it does look like a face. And how likely do you think this would be naturally occurring? I mean, it could just be a trick of the light, you know. Who knows? I mean, it could be, or it could be Mount like the Mount Rushmore of the Martians, you know. That's also just it's a big planet. Got a lot of rocks, a lot of different light angles. It's possible. I mean, Mars is known for having a, as we were saying beforehand, it's, it has a much thinner atmosphere, so less light to play around with, they say. Yeah. Well, I'm... Also, this face was massive. So the length is about a, a full mile long. It was half a mile wide, and it was about a quarter of a mile tall, by estimates. Hmm. Pretty, pretty interesting. So this is known as the Sidonia face, or the Sidonia mense. And immediately after the picture got released by NASA, they were like, it's definitely not a face, guys. It's just light playing tricks on your eyes. But that <laughs> did not convince people. The public knew it was a face. Surprise, surprise. People actually kept... Yeah, no. Yeah. So, yeah, people claim... And there were even computer simulations done to kind of prove this was a legit face. This wasn't as demuted as uh, NASA said it was. The light angles, did. there was no optical illusion here. It was definitely a face. So some guys even made computer simulations of it, which was pretty impressive back then. Anyways, do you know what would be more impressive? If they found more stuff around it which corresponded to an ancient civilization, would that make you believe it more? I haven't heard of this, so I'd, yeah, I'd be interested in seeing some of that. Yeah. So basically, around the face, there were a bunch of other big and weird objects, 
which is known to co- co- uh, the full area is known collectively as the as the Sidonian complex because there's the face and then there's a bunch of ruins on the left hand side which people call maybe the city um, and then at the bottom towards the middle there's this big five sided pyramid which is in the middle and geometrically uh, aligns with where the face and the city and several other landmarks are. Hmm. I actually, so I knew about the face before. Like, I think that's like a kind of common thing that you kind of come across. But I haven't heard about this, this Sidonian complex thing. So this is pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, sure. And it all kind of geometrically aligns in such a way where you can draw a lot of angles and lines. But eventually, if you draw enough, it becomes not as coincidental anymore. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it could just be some rocks, you know? <laughs> yeah. True. I mean, if you look at some of the ways it's arranged, like if you even draw like the, the you know, the, the perfect, like uh, the universal. Yeah, the, golden, like, uh, the, the golden golden ratio. Golden ratio. ratio. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You can see the pyramid. Uh, if you draw the golden ratio from it, you can see it aligns perfectly where the city is and also perfectly where, where the face is. Okay. That's... I, I, on the other, I, I mean, I'll, I'll interject on that saying that you can find the golden ratio in a lot of natural things like butterflies at the golden ratio too. So yeah, but this is not, this is rocks, which should have occurred randomly, not naturally. Yeah. But so did, well, yeah, they occurred randomly. So like random randomly in natural. the golden ratio. Yeah. Like, like I'm saying, nature has a lot of things in golden ratio. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. What do you think, Chris? Cause you seem pretty contemplative. I mean, I, it, 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 I don't want to be like a downer and be like, oh, well, like, they could have just been randomly. But also, yeah, they could have just been randomly like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of cool to, like, imagine that this is, like, some sort of, like, we're looking down on, like, an Egyptian, you know, like, we're looking on, like, the pyramids of the Mart, you know. It's really cool to imagine that. I can see why people would, like, want to believe in this and, like, kind of, like, mm-hmm. come up with these, like, even go as far as to, like, make a simulation to, like, kind of prove it, right? Yeah, because mm. it's kind of like you're looking at, and most of these people don't believe it's an active city or anything like that. It's it's what was once, right? Like, it's been long abandoned, long destroyed. It's just a remnant of an ancient society. It's quite romantic when you think about it that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, that's like the like the head is, like, poking out of the sand, and below it, there's, like, a huge, <laughs> like, Martian statue. Yeah, like, I, planet I don't know. vibes. I, I, do, I do have a problem with ancient civilizations, in space, because that that kind of gives me a for me paradox vibe. If you know what that is, oh you yeah. Want to explain for the viewers. Uh, how do you explain it again? Yeah, that there's a high possibility. I think that there would be extraterrestrial life, but that it's not very likely. That we haven't found evidence to back it up, which is odd. Like we should have. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons for it is that if we do, if if we do find extraterrestrial life, it's probably bad for us because if they died that's going to be bad for us because they died of something that might be coming for us and if and yeah i think that's it right yeah that's like the that's the basic premise right where it's like this guy did like a bunch of math there's like drake's equation right which says that there should be like built like yeah exactly like the power of eight or something yeah yeah uh, extraterrestrial beings but we don't see any of them right so that implies that there's like some things that we don't know that causes it to be like less likely. I mean, like right. also it's just like some formula that this guy came up with, right? He, do- he doesn't know all the information, but it makes it True. seem more like mysterious, right? It's like, there's something out there we don't understand. That's like hunting 
like aliens down, right? But yeah, yeah. Which, which is honestly more scary than anything. Which is why I'm I'm fine with not having any other life forms in the universe in that sense. It's, I'd love to. I'd love for it to be like Star Wars or Star Trek, where we can just be friends and, and hang out. But I don't know. There's a lot of other alien movies that are slightly less uh, chummy. Mm, yeah, I mean, so I mean, this might be a bit of a tangent. So stop me if we go too far. But like, do you guys believe in aliens? Do you think there's aliens out there? I was going to ask this at the end. So maybe. Oh, we'll okay. We can save it for the end. We can save it for the end. We'll save it. We'll save it. Just I like, don't want to jump the gun. Yeah, we'll we'll just finish with talking about that. But uh, yeah, you're the host here. I don't want to take your. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Anyways, people were pretty, you know, interested in this, and this corresponded to the time of the ton of failed Mars missions, which is a bit suspicious, wouldn't you say? We just saw this face. NASA tried to be like, it's no big deal, tried to cover it up, released no other images of the site, said it was just an optical illusion, and didn't have a successful mission there for another 20 years. The next successful mission, the area was the Mars Global Surveyor, who's going to make a flyby uh, in 2000. And on that exact day, it was going to pass the Sidonia complex. There was, quote-unquote, sequencing error, which destroyed the full day of data, just for that day. So they had to wait a year, and it flew by again. And then NASA finally released these pictures of what they said it actually was, a bit more higher detail. However, uh, believers in the Sidonian face basically say this is just it doctored out of existence. Basically, what NASA says they're doing, they said NASA is doing instead. So who do you trust? The guy in the, the, guy in the basement or NASA and their scientists? I, I, here's my theory. Those missions that they set failed actually worked out, but they were going there to send nukes, and they nuked the, whole, the shit out of that civilization. And these are the pictures of what's left. Hmm. Yeah, they nuked them from orbit. Only they way to did. be sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Because that's a, that's a nice segue, Han, uh, you know, into our next segment. Or our, one of our final looks. Oh, intergalactic nuclear war? Perhaps. Um, so the question always is, if there was life on Mars, especially intelligent life, what happened to it? Because most people don't claim nowadays that it still exists. So there are several possibilities, which also kind of explain the barren state of Mars that we know it looks like today. So the first possibility was an asteroid impact, where in the, in the northern hemisphere of Mars, uh, people have noticed for a long time, it's a bit lopsided. So the, the northern hemisphere is actually on average 5.5 kilometers lower than the southern hemisphere. And also the crust there is about 26 kilometers thinner. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. So basically what happens uh, a decent amount of time ago, maybe like a billion, a few hundred million years ago, a huge meteorite cra- or asteroid crashed into the planet and basically destroyed all of its potential. So people actually attribute that to having such a low atmosphere because most of it escaped from the crash and also probably destroyed any oceans and anything that was there and just left it a wasteland. Mm-hmm. So that's what could have happened to the Sidonian complex, if that was the case. The second, um, more juicier um, explanation, per se, is advanced by a guy with a PhD. Uh, His name is Dr. John uh, Bradenbury, and he he specializes in physics and stuff like that. And so the 2001 orbiter we talked about, it had a cool tool on it called a radio, a gamma ray spectrometer, which, you know, is able to look for different concentrations of radioactive materials, which is good. Um, However, it found some interesting things about Mars, which people didn't suspect. 
So there was an extreme amount of concentration of radioactive uranium, thorium, and potassium in at least two regions of the planet, which if you're looking along with us, you can kind of see that there was two concentrated zones where there's a lot more of these radioactive materials. Secondly, they also noticed uh, with, a, with a future rover, I think in 2015, they discovered that there was an extreme presence of the, of the, of the isotope xenon-129, which is an isotope which only occurs, knowingly to us, after a thermonuclear detonation. So what the hypothesis that Brad, Bradbury says is that within those two locations, nuclear weapons were dropped at some point in time, extremely large ones, which resulted in these, ex these increased amounts of uh, isotopes being released, as well as these radioactive elements being found. And what's even more cooler is that those two hypothesized uh, target sites, one of them is pretty damn close to Cydonia. Hmm. I mean... So they, they did nuke it. Well, it would probably have gone before the American government. But... This is the American government... No, putting this their conspiracy out to counter the conspiracy that they nuked Cydonia. Maybe, but I, I think this would have happened thousands of years ago, if not millions. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised a physicist would put this out, to be honest, because, like, nukes would not, like, prevent it from being able to hold an atmosphere. Like, if, like if we nuked the, the Earth, like, the Earth would eventually recover, right? Like... Um, I think it was a combination of the two, though. Like, I think the, they would have lost... The asteroid would have happened, I think, millions and millions of years before the nuclear weapon stuff. Right. I then how would, life, how would life evolve if, like, the planet was uninhabitable from the asteroid, you know? To quote Jeff Goldblum, life, life answer, <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> yeah. I guess if you can't believe the conspiracy, you're not thinking creatively enough, you know? Exactly. What, what do you think, Hans? <laughs> Double timing. Oof, I'm not sure. This was your idea. This is your idea, I must say. Well, what was my idea? The nukes. Yes. Well, I mean, I was saying American nukes on Mars, but this is this is not American nukes. This is like some kind of historical nuke. But what I what I do think is that this means that we should be able to find some kind of uh, well fossils, right? We'll get to that. Okay. That's would be my last point. But uh, I don't know. I feel like even like the, the fact that Sidonia, or at least the, fa the things we've seen and the face, the potential pyramid, the, the city complex, it, it makes sense. If there was a huge, huge nuclear explosion, it could have wiped out a race. I don't know. Yeah, we'll never know, I suppose, you know, until we can get there. But, the, you know, the U.S. government, they sent all those missions to, like, steal the artifacts before we keep Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They, they already pulled out. This is, this, it's like the opposite of the Christian uh, explanation for fossils. Instead of uh, God having put them all in the ground, the Americans just took all of them out of the ground already to, to lull us into this false sense that there mm -hmm. was never any life on Mars. They just took yeah. all of it out of the ground. I'm turning it to oil. <laughs> Just for the oil. My car <laughs> runs on Martians. Uh, yeah, uh, they had, well, they had to do something about the energy crisis in the 70s, you know? Well, instead of getting it from Russia, we'll just build a pipeline <laughs> from Mars. <laughs> we'll just build a pipeline to Mars. Uh, well, I, I want to end on a bit of an optimistic note. And I love this story because it's true. And this one is actually true. Have you guys heard of Asteroid? ALH 840010. 
I've not know. You'll be surprised because I think more people should know about this asteroid. I really do. I think it's one of the great travesties of science that nobody knows about this thing. So mm-hmm. it was discovered on December 27th, uh, 1984, I believe. Um, I note, did not have it right, but I'm pretty sure it's 1984 um, in Antarctica. So drawing parallels back to where we were first talking about. Um, Is this where the thing came from? <laughs> anyways, um, American scientists found it. They took it in and it was finally looked at in 1996 because it takes, it's like when you find a fossil, they put it in storage for a few years and then you get time to look at it. Anyways, scientists were quite surprised when they looked at it because when they opened it up a little or, or looked inside, they realized it was actually from Mars. So it was a Martian meteorite, one of the first and one of the biggest ever found on Earth. So it was theorized that in an explosion or like another meteorite impacting Mars, it got blown off the planet 17 million years ago and landed on Earth. What is also cool is this is probably the oldest Martian meteorite we've ever found. So this would have been around the time when there were still oceans on Mars. So they opened it up and they examined the inside. And they found inside it these little structures, which they thought and they published a paper saying they had the likeness of microscopic fossils of bacteria. And this was published in reputable sources. And there was even a nice quote, which Bill Clinton, well president, gave about this discovery to symbolize the importance for mankind. Do you want to read it, Han, and channel your inner American president? I'm, 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 I'm not very good at it, Bill Clinton. I'm going to try. Okay, okay. How does Bill Clinton sound again? Today, Rock A4001 speaks to us across from all those billions of years and millions of miles. It speaks of the possibility of life. If this discovery is confirmed, it will surely be one of the most stunning insights into our universe that science has ever uncovered. Its implications are as far-reaching and awe-inspiring as can be imagined. Even as it promises answers to some of our oldest questions, it poses still others even more fundamental. That's a pretty good voice. Yeah, no, that was not bad. But no, basically, in 98, they believed that this was the fossilized evidence of extraterrestrial life. And it seemed to kind of hold up. The reason why we don't know as much about it nowadays is that most have argued, most scientists get very, very skeptical or very hesitant to endorse anything as extraterrestrial. So the common terminology nowadays around it is that morphologically, uh, that because they only have the, the formations within the asteroid, they say that morphology alone cannot be used unambiguously as a tool for primitive life detection. So basically, they're arguing that only having these fossils in rocks is not enough on its own to prove that these are actually life forms. Yeah, like they're just, they're basically saying just because these look like shaped, like yeah. what we think life looks like, we need a little bit but more. But it looks exactly what you think life looks like, except a little smaller than what we've seen on Earth. Yeah, these are like bacteria, right? Yeah, they're smaller than the bacteria we know. So um, they're, they're a little more microscopic than the bacteria we've commonly seen. That was the one key difference. Oh, okay. But basically, if you were to find extraterrestrial life, this is probably how you do it. And we found it on our own planet. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? At, at what point would we be capable of actually searching for, for fossils on Mars? Because we have these rovers running around now. And they're getting, like, these, these things are getting pretty advanced. 
because they're taking all this rock fragment with it. But I think you need some like humans there because like I think you need, like it's pretty like intensive labor and like mach- the machines are like they can dig, but they can only dig in like one specific way that it was designed to dig, right? Like they can bore mm-hmm. a hole down, but they can't like scoop out like an excavation site, right? No, but, not yet. Not yet. Maybe. Well, maybe we'll. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more likely that that we get these robots to be more advanced than actual humans going there and then excavating the place because that is tough. I suppose. I feel like that's much harder than just sending those robots over because you actually have to bring the people back and supply them with stuff. Yeah, and even rovers, even if they could do it, even if they found something as clear as this, they still wouldn't accept that as proof of life, right? Because even having found that already, we wouldn't accept it. Well, I think they would accept it if it was a bit more conclusive than this. It's just that this is too circumstantial, maybe, to constitute actual definitive proof. And they want to be careful with actually yeah. uh, making a very, very big claim based on circumstantial evidence. But if you were to dig up this kind of stuff all over the planet, maybe in slightly bigger variants too, then they could probably make more conclusions out of that. It's just probably too small of a sample size to actually do anything with it. Mm. Yeah, I think I might have read this before, actually. Like, maybe, I think one of the arguments was, like, this could have been, like, formed by, like, heat or something. Like, you know, it could have been, like, a naturally, like, occurring shape that just caused, like, the rock melted in a certain way, right? And then these, like, beads kind of formed, right? Um, I think that was one of the arguments against as well, but it's it's kind of stretching again, right? It's not the simplest explanation. No. The thing is, is you don't want too much doubt when asserting something as, as groundbreaking as extraterrestrial life, I think, which is why why they're being so careful. So, like I said, if you do find structures like this in different scenarios that aren't like meteorites that crashed on Earth, then I feel like it gives a lot more weight and meat to your theory. Yeah, definitely. And Bill Clinton, he must deliver a lot of meat as well, right? <laughs> National televised public address speaking about having found aliens. Come on. Wait, what, what did you say? He delivers a lot of meat? I'm sorry, I thought you was like I thought you were saying something dirty. <laughs> there might have been something. There's a joke there. Uh, there is definitely there is definitely a joke there. Anyways. Anyways. That kind of wraps up what I had to present here. And I, I think we should start wrapping up this podcast too. And and let's reflect on the first questions we asked about whether we think there's primitive life on Mars and whether we think there's intelligent life on Mars. Has any of this podcast convinced you otherwise? Chris, do you want to start? I think I'm, I think you didn't change my mind, unfortunately, Simon. Oh. I, I think it's, uh, there could be definitely primitive life, like bacteria out there. Um, maybe in the ice caps, there's water, lots of water there. Mm-hmm. But when it just, like, if there was intelligent life, I'm sure we would see something, you know, especially now that we have, like, tons of rovers. You saw the face. Yeah, well, well, but, yeah, but now we, you know, supposedly that doesn't look, um, I, I mean, if there was life still there, um, but even then, the ro- the face does have an explanation, right? Yeah. Like if they're if even if they're living underground, you'd like see like like there they need to be like holes or something for like heat to escape, right? Things like that, you know. So I just don't know. I don't think it is. It's a big planet. This, the rovers have covered really nothing of it, honestly. They had a rover mission planned to go to uh, to Circadia, or sorry, not Circadia, uh, to the, the, the Cindian complex. I forgot the name, my, my bad. Um, but uh, they canceled it as soon as the picture of the face, uh, the public got a hold of it. 
because it was mm. deemed too unsafe of a landing site. Really? Well, yeah. Interesting. In the backyard there, basically. But anyways, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Han, what do you think? Well, I, I kind of said I didn't know about that asteroid, and it does kind of, that that does maybe convince me slightly more that there might be microscopic life on Mars. Uh, but I don't think there's actual meat to all the other stuff. There were no there. There's no canals on Mars. Um, that face is just the trick of the light. I mean, people see Jesus on their pieces of toast. It's not a stretch that you would see a human face on a rock. Ah. In fact, this is this is how a lot of mythology came about because people just saw faces in clouds and random stuff and were like, yeah, that's a thing. That's definitely a guy. That can't have been a coincidence. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical about the face. Sorry. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I don't know. For me personally, the, the face, I when I've previously read into it, I never believed as much. But I mean, it does kind of align with the nuclear sites if, if we're going to tie those two together. And I love tying things together. I, I think if there was any site, it would probably be that. But I, I do I do personally believe that microscopic life probably is on Mars. And I do think that microscopic life is not as rare as we think it is. We just haven't been looking for it in the way that we should be looking for it. Yeah, and we, we probably just don't have the tools, right, to like... Exactly. We're, yeah. we're still such a young civilization. I mean, even if yeah. we ever make it past this planet, which, I mean, every day goes on, especially here in Europe, that looks less likely. But Yeah. I mean, here's the question. Do we want life to be on Mars? Like, intelligent life? Ooh. You know, because if it's there, then we can't really just, like, take over the planet, right? You know? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, you guys... That never you, stopped you, us for North you, America, just say. I was just about to say. That well, didn't stop you in North America. Got, well, we're, we would learn from the mistakes of the past, hopefully, and not do it. Nah, but, but it's better. Nah, nah. It's more, it's more cool to think that there's nothing there and we can build some really cool sci-fi like Mars base, you know, the, the, the problem with it is if, if it were, so if there was a, an extraterrestrial life form, the good thing about it is that it would solve racism on earth. The bad thing is about, about it is that it would solve racism with more racism because we could just all rally against our hatred of this non-human species. Oh yeah, it's like, it's like that movie um, in South Africa by the, the, the oh, Blorgum guy. Blorgum. District 9. Yeah, I district, forget. Yeah. Or is it District 10? I think it's District it's 9. 9. Yeah, yeah, I think District 9, yeah. yeah. No, fair enough. Do you want to ask your question, Chris? So do we think there's extraterrestrial life out there somewhere? Like intelligent life? Uh, I mean, infinity times infinity... And with, with the absolute size of the universe, uh, I think it's not unlikely that there is, that there might be, because there, the, the universe is just too freaking big to actually uh, discount the possibility. That there, there's just too much out there that, like, if Earth was the only place with intelligent life or life in general, that would be, unlo- that, that would be pretty unlikely if you think about it. Yeah, I tend to take the same approach. Like, statistically, it has to exist. The thing is, it doesn't have to exist anywhere near us and in any way that we'd ever be able to interact with them. I mean, in fact, if if it's not in this galaxy or or Andromeda, then we're never going to be able to get to it anyway. With every passing year, we're we're just going to be less able to find them because it's just moving away from us, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, even within our own galaxy, like within a certain radius, like radio signals like decay. So like, I think if it's like greater than 200 light years, like we won't be able to get like an intelligible radio signal. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And 200 light years sounds like it is, it is a lot, but it's like compared to the galaxy, it's like nothing. It's like absolutely nah, nothing. Right. Peanuts, yeah. Absolutely yeah. Peanuts, yeah. No, I, I take that stance as well. I just think that people underestimate how big space actually is. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like, when you think about it, it like makes you kind of have like an extent existential crisis a little bit, right? Because yeah. it's just like yeah. thinking about like when you look into the universe, you don't even see beyond the Milky Way, right? And the Milky Way is just one of billions and billions of similar systems. Yeah, which is all part of a galaxy, which is then part of a, a, a set of galaxies, and which is then part of like clusters and shit. There's just for every yeah. level that you go higher, there's like mm-hmm. a, there's just so many different things of the same type and then when you uh with with the big bang and just the, the movement in the universe like pushing things away from each other and, and toward or into towards each other with gravity it's just insane to think the fact that some things are moving away at such speed that even if we were to be able to travel with light speed we wouldn't catch up to them like it's physically impossible to catch up with things because they're moving away from us that fast just the entire concept of the universe and i don't know that much about it it's just it's strange if you think about it yeah basically it's like the expansion of the universe is happening faster than like light speed or or, yeah, or essentially like it's or like because the ex- universe is expanding at light speed the like volume is increasing faster than you'd be able to travel it basically exactly because because yeah. the, the the edges of the universe everything is moving away all the time basically and like to catch up you'd be have to make up that distance which is impossible so yeah re- sometimes yeah. Now. yeah sometimes real life can just be as crazy as the conspiracy yeah you know? or, or... i mean we can just leave ourselves in the words of albert einstein there is every reason to believe that mars and other planets are inhabited why should the earth be the only planet supporting human life it is not singular in any other respect and i think that should be our podcast for today yeah how did you enjoy this chris thanks for coming on this was really fun. I had a great time. Lots of good laughs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think this is a good episode, right, huh? I think we have yeah. a good one. Shouldn't we, say, shouldn't we say goodbye before we do Yes. The, no, the, I was going to ask the people, if you enjoy this episode, you should uh, check out our other ones because uh, they're also pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no. And then we'll say goodbye to them now after we've asked them to subscribe right. and like and comment and whatever they please. But just, yeah. anyways, goodbye, people. Goodbye. Goodbye.